from fake meat and robot chefs to ghost kitchens and delivery drones, the restaurant industry is rapidly evolving. Welcome to Food Fighters, bringing you interviews with the leading industry trailblazers. I'm your host, Zach Goldstein. Hey there, Zach Goldstein here. Welcome back to Food Fighters. I'm here with Robert Thompson, founder and CEO of Punchbowl Social, an entertainment concept first opened in his hometown of Denver in 2012 and now up to 20 locations. At Punchbowl Social, Robert and his team are focused on encouraging real human interaction of customers with both food and experiences that simulate the old gathering around a punch bowl. Welcome to Food Fighters, Robert. Thanks. I appreciate you guys having me. Well, I'm excited to have you, um, not only because we have an office um, in Denver, and so we're certainly familiar with the original, uh, but I'm from Sacramento uh, and have spent quite a bit of time near the Sacramento Kings Arena at the Punchbowl Social there. Um, Two completely uh, unique versions of the brand. Tell me about the customers that are coming into a Punchbowl Social. Uh, What is is the appeal and, and what are you trying to deliver to them that's unique from any other restaurant or entertainment venue that they could go to? So thanks for that question. We actually do cast a very wide net um, and bring in a lot of um, Gen Xers and, um, and then, and then um, millennial families on the older um, end of the spectrum um, um, for our millennial cohort. But, um, you know, the, the uniqueness there is um, twofold. One, our category, which is um, experiential food and beverage or entertainment, as it's also called which is um, something that millennials um, seek out. We, we know this through psychographic study, but also just anecdotally. Um, and then two, our distinction within the category as best in class, um, authentic experience within the experiential food and beverage category. Great. I mean, I, I think about the, the brand Punchbowl Social. I think about... Uh, what I've read, that it's inspired by this kind of Victorian era tradition of gathering around the punch bowl. Uh, And obviously what you've done is much more. High-end food and drinks, lots of awesome gaming and entertainment experiences. Uh, What are some of the more interesting things that you've experimented with on the entertainment side to draw people in? What what are the big hooks? Uh, And then we'll switch over, of course, and talk about the uniqueness of of your food and beverage program. In the early years, we we didn't experiment much. We stuck with activations of bowling, traditional darts, um, board games, private karaoke rooms, um, you know, anything that you can do in a group socially. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the hook for us is actually to use those gaming elements to drive additional food and beverage. So um, you, you may have heard me reference a, a, a metric in the past that um, 90% of our sales are food and beverage. That's unique within the category. Most of the, my, my peers um, has a higher gaming ratio than do we. Um, but, you know, in terms of the experimentation, more recently uh, in the last two years, we have integrated something we call Putt Club, which is, um, which is indoor mini golf. In some locations, we've integrated some VR parlors. This past January, we launched something we're calling Smart Darts, here in Denver, in, in the original Denver location, um, which is um, dart flight tracking technology, which wow. you know, you throw a dart, cameras track the, the dart flight, understand where it lands on the board, and um, automatically scores and organizes the entire game for you. So you can put 
a group of five or six or 12 people together on a single dart lane, it'll go, you know, it, it expedites the process. It does the math for you. So it don't look like a dope when you can't do math after having two punches. If you ever try to play 501, right, try hitting a triple 18 and doing that math quickly, um, you know, in front of, uh, you know, 15 people <laughs> after you've had a couple of drinks. So it's, it's, uh, it's, um, you know, we, we've had a lot of fun experimenting, um, you know, with, with the gaming activations. Of course, the menu and, um, and beverage, um, side are always evolving. The, the look and feel of, of every Punchbowl social is a little bit different. It obviously, there's some themes, but the look and feel is different. The games uh, are different by, by concept. Uh, and I, I, and I understand that in many cases, the, the food and beverage, um, offering has been customized. How do you think about creating a cohesive brand across those locations, but then localizing them and creating that uniqueness that oftentimes is what your, your customers are really looking for? You know, you need to scale, you need to have, um, consistency. Everything needs to be operationalized in a manageable way. And the rub is, you know, how do you do that and, and remain authentic? absent of institutionalism. We spend a lot of, of, of our waking hours um, you know, ensuring that we're, that we're putting this thing through a brand filter, all our decisions through a brand filter that deliver um, the experience in an, in an authentic way to our consumer. Um, you know, with respect to the design piece, you know, it has five design elements that we all fold together. Four of them are consistent and static, but rather it's, you know, Mountain Lodge, Victorian, mid-century, modern, and industrial. And that fifth one is always this, this highly localized narrative where we go deep into the history of the trade area or the city that we're in. And, and we, we, we sort of mine out these nuggets um, that we translate into design elements inside of, a, of, of our location. So you know, we just opened in Miami this past Saturday. Give us some examples of the fun ones that, that you, you've opened recently and what some of that local flavor is, because it really does differentiate uh, each location. So um, in Miami, where we just opened in the Wynwood Arts District this past Saturday, um, we, um, we, we really reached out into Wynwood and the, and the Arts District itself. So we took our four um, consistent design themes um, before Punchbowl and, um, really went heavy on the Mountain Lodge side of it. And then for the localization piece, we took all these vibrant hues, um, that live outside in the street art in, in Miami. And it's almost as if we applied an acid wash to those colors as we, as we brought them, uh, into our Mountain Lodge setting. And it created a very funky experience we refer to as acid lodge. <laughs> um, it's not so perfect for Miami. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then in, in Arlington, Virginia, there was something in 1906 called the Great Elephant Escape, where these elephants escaped from the circus, where they went running all around Northern Virginia, knocking over barns and stuff. And um, it was, you know, sort of a famous event. Um, and so we, we pay tribute to the to to the Great Elephant Escape. So there's um, there's some circus and elephant themes going on in our in our Arlington location. Love it. It's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's fun to, to talk about this stuff because in an industry where one of the number one trends is people talking about the movement to off premise, 
you are doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on on creating unique on-premise experiences uh, for people to not only come to Punchbowl Social, but to dwell there. Um, and clearly that is, you know, you talk about the experience. That is one of the things that that ultimately has become a huge competitive advantage of yours. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. We, you know, we don't have a single delivery relationship anywhere in the company. Um, we, we don't, you know, if you want to come and pick up your food and take it to go, okay. Um, great. We'll facilitate that for you, but we don't, um, we believe that the experience exists on premise. Um, I, I don't really know how to deliver an experience. I mean, I, I guess maybe eventually Grubhub will have stripper grams or something going out with your Shake Shack, um, <laughs> to create some type of experience. But other than that, you know, experiences happen inside of the four walls of Punchable Social. And, um, you know, you can't deliver a bowling alley. You can't deliver an entire group of friends to show up at your house through a third-party delivery service. So we try to provide that environment where you can come in and, um, and as, as you said, you know, sit around a bowl of punch and actually look each other in the eye and have um, you know real conversations instead of digital or synthetic conversations online. Well, and what's magical about that, and and probably why such a huge portion. Um, uh, of revenue is really coming from food and beverage. But I would imagine the dwell times, uh, the amount of time that those large groups spend at a Punchbowl Social is is quite significant compared to the type of uh, time that someone would spend just dining at a restaurant. Yeah, we, we do um, have um, an expanded dwell time over the rest of the industry. And we also call it sticky factor, right? Which means that you know, it's hard to unstick from a punch bowl once you get inside because it's just exploring the design and the expanse of the space or you came in just to, to game and play and you see other people eating and drinking and, you know, you end up sticking around for an extra hour and having dinner. It's very sticky to leave there, which, is, as you suggested, is also dual time. What are the challenges? I mean, I would imagine when People are looking for several hours of gaming and eating and drinking. Uh, they must think of Punchbowl Social as very high on their list. Uh, what are the challenges? Is it is it the middle of the week? Is it you know certain demographics? I, where are you focused when you think about how do we how do we actually continue to engage more people and more often? There's still a good old fashioned restaurant industry component to what we do, um, which is. You know, the kinder you are, the better service, the higher the quality and consistency of your product. So we think a lot about that, which is zero difference than any other restaurant brand, right? We're all trying to figure out ways to um, improve the guest uh, experience and, and bring them back. But, um, you know, what's interesting about our model is that so early week, you would think that 24,000 square feet is problematic, but those are actually great times for us with a lot of private parties on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, um, because we offer something to do for a group as opposed to just go sit in a ballroom and, you know, eat another rubber chicken, you know, during your corporate event. Um, so it, 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 it's, that, that's great for us. Um, one of the harder parts about what we do is we serve the entire menu over the entire facility, you know, and so what that means is that on Friday night, um, you know, if you, you, you sort of have an ad hoc group of 20 come together friends that want to go out and eat and play um you know that you can't get a reservation anywhere in town but you know you can walk into a punch bowl and 
cobbled together a bunch of high tops, even if the diner is full. And, you know, you get the full menu there. So that's great for revenue. It's great to have a reputation for that. But it's really hard on the kitchen when you have three of those 20 tops walking off at the same time and want to and all, all want to dine at the same time as everything else is going on in the space. Yeah. I mean, that is a that is an unpredictability to some of the operations that that adds some complexity. But it's also I mean, it's what the customers is craving. Uh, that's why they're coming, as you point out. They can't get a last-minute reservation somewhere else. No, it's just because it's, it's so easy for them to customize their experience at a punch bowl. We really can, they really can make decisions minute by minute when they get there because we do offer so much under one roof. Yeah, I mean, that's actually where I was going. Is that's kind of the magic for this, particularly for this millennial audience, is the fact that a group of people can come together at Punchbowl Social but then spend their time all doing different things if they wanted to, uh, that, that really does appeal to this age group. And I was wondering, as you think about what are the other things that you're doing to really specifically target uh, millennials and Gen Z, as you think about your marketing or as you think about uh, the food and beverage program and the menu, how have you considered the specific population you're targeting to, to, to make a uniquely punchable social experience? We know that our core customer can sniff out inauthentic environments and tell everybody about them and, and, and suggest that they don't come in. So we're very hard at that. Um, we also know, and this is the easy part for us because the people that run this company, we, um, you know, we are all personally purpose driven. And, um, so we understand that millennials and Gen Z, they don't look for the what in, in a brand. They also look for the why. Why does this brand need to be here? Why is this brand important? So, uh, and that relates to um, um, social responsibilities. So, um, you know, we, we like to, both from a feel-good factor and a marketing aspect, um, you know, we do, we put our foot out there um, in terms of um, what our positions are um, for social equalities um, and also an effort to lower our carbon footprint. So, those are things that we know, which are, you know, additionally help attract um, our core customer. Food fighters, stay on the cutting edge. Not only are you mixing up the the, the footprint of the restaurants as you expand nationally, um, you've been looking into other concepts, whether to put Punchbowl uh, Punchbowl Life uh, into high-end malls, for instance, or perhaps a hotel in the future. As you think about expanding the brand to other form factors and, and other ways that your same consumers can engage, what has to remain consistent? And then where do you want that surprise, that kind of uh, that, that differentiation to come through as you as you broaden beyond the, the current footprints? Maybe I'll answer that just um, by describing some of the differences of, of how punchable life will come together versus punchable social. Great. Um, so we, we think about punchable as a master brand with punchable social, punchable life and punchable hotel um, um, below that. And of course we know what punchable social is. Punchable life is, is an opportunity to expand into more sophisticated um, mall environments, but, um, but we don't you know, want punchable social to be a mall product. There's just a stigma around that, even though Gen Z, uh, fascinatingly, is actually thinks that um, thinks that malls are cool again. 
Um, so it's the, the rebirth of them all. <laughs> it's the rebirth of them all through Gen Z. And it's, it's, it's hilarious and, and, and interesting, we, but we want to separate, um, uh, enough, um, the, the, the two products between punchable social punchable life. We know that in a mall environment, we'll sell less alcohol than we do at a, at a conventional punchable social. And so we need to replace that revenue with something else. And, um, and in the punchable life uh, experience, we are going to add in something that we call makertainment, um, which is going to be, you know, some classroom sessions where you can go in and have with a drink in your hand and learn how to make candles or take a craft cocktail class, maybe a cooking class. Um, and then we'll also add in a um, uh, some retail products, right, that we'll sell since we're also in a mall environment. That will connect to whatever some of these classroom sessions, um, uh, however they manifest. All that will be going on while we still have what you know is a punch bowl social. We just are sort of activating it um, differently enough um, that it will distinguish itself um, from the urban punch bowl social product. And a hotel? I mean, that seems like yet another uh, big step, but one that makes logical sense when you're building the true lifestyle brand at the end of the day. Yeah. And you hit on the keyword there, right? People often define themselves by the brands that um, they associate with. And, and in this case with millennials, Gen Z will promote, right? Because it's almost a form of self when they promote brands that they're proud to associate with. So for us, we try to double down on that that lifestyle staff. We know that we bring the experiences that millennials crave to them, which, you know, and being best in class in the experiential food and beverage category allows us to lean into this lifestyle status, which is what led me to wanting to bring to life a, a experiential boutique hotel where the flag will be punchable hotel in a micro room setting as their micro rooms will get people out of their rooms and down into the common areas where, where a functional social will actually exist. And that's where the experiences and, and will drive the F and B through the common areas of the hotel, you know, all encapsulated in a, in a boutique um, hotel experience. Do you have initial location or locations at this point or still in concept? Both. Um, we're still in concept and we're having conversations on location. Punch bowls take a long time to bring together on a normal day. Some of my deals are three years out from the first time I touched them. Um, but, um, you know, a punch bowl hotel is even more complicated. So, um, you know, I, I can tell you I don't have anything scheduled to open in 2021. Um, the, it is, you know, um, you know, I'm actually working on our 20, um, 21 and 2022 pipeline right now. So um, hotels are in the conversation. Great, great. And and part of that, as you expand on the on the umbrella punchable brand, um, p- part of that is obviously having the the capital and the runway to do it. And so you, you recently announced a financing deal with Cracker Barrel, which I, I guess at first glance the two may seem like unlikely partners. Um, tell us about the deal why it makes sense, how it came together, and, and how that provides the foundation for this significant expansion of, of Punchbowl over the next several years or decades. Sure. Um, well, first of all, they're great people over there at Cracker Barrel. And, um, you know, uh, uh, this is a, 
this is a minority deal with them. So they, they bought a minority position in the company and provided us access to, to capital. Um, uh, for, for them, you know, um, it was um, access to growth. Uh, and also um, our core customer, which uh, can be different than the demographic that services um, Crackerbill. It really was the gaps, the, the, the gaps um, that each one of our companies um, had that brought us together, right? Because we could fill those gaps for one another. And um, so I reached out to their CEO, um, Sandy Cochran, who's a great restaurant leader. She's really um is not heralded as much as she she should be. She flies under the radar. We engaged in a in a, in a fascinating conversation um, that lasted about nine months, and we finally and we got a deal done. The brands don't need to align, right? That's not that's not important um, because there is no integration between the two. Um, in this respect, they almost act like a private equity firm, right? Where they um, you know they they provided this capital. Uh, and some and some key insights um, with respect to um, some of the ways that they look at um, financial data, and um, and we provided them with an opportunity to you know eventually um, acquire the rest of the company if that's what makes sense. But you know none of us are making that plan uh, right now. We're just enjoying the partnership. It's great. It's great. It's nice to see uh, great brands come together um, and and. Uh, as long as there's an investment in future innovation, that that's good for all of us. So exciting to see that. It's been a heck of a growth story uh, since, since you opened up the first Punchbowl Social in your hometown. Uh, it, it's exciting to hear about the 20th location in Miami and the, the life concepts, the hotel concepts coming soon. Um, and, and so thank you for sharing that with us. As, as you think about, you know, the podcast is, is Food Fighters and we like to talk about What's the next food fight? Um, is it what is the future of experiential? Uh, how do you see that evolving? Uh, and is that is that where you're directing people to think about the future of, of food, uh, or are there other things that are on your mind? The future of the category, right, is it's going to continue to expand, and we we believe that you know we at Punchbowl we, we helped define entertainment. I think entertainment was not defined. You had these these legacy players like Dave and Buster's out there, which are not the way anyone else is bringing. No one else is trying to bring together the Dave and Buster's experience in the, in the entertainment category. Um, so, you know, we helped define the modern um, entertainment category and um, we've had some success. And as a result, there've been a lot of new entrants in, into the space. Um, so I think um, because each market doesn't hold um, you know, it's not like a um, Chipotle right, where, you know, you open up 20 of these and, um, you know, there's all, there's only so much space. And so there's a race to really the type of real estate that Punchbowl started taking down, um, you know, back around 2012. Um, and that's where, for me, my solution to to that um, that busy that busyness or the noise in the, in the real estate pipeline um, is to develop things like Punchbowl Life. And Punchbowl Hotel, where no, you know, once again, we want to be groundbreaking. We want to continue to define what the experiences are in experiential food and beverage, and that's. Um, so I think the food fight is a real estate. Is there's, is a, there's a land war, 
And I think, you know, we're going to try to, um, we're going to try to outthink the question, right? And by asking a different question of where we can actually, what, what ecosystem we can iterate into. Yeah, that's very interesting. And normally I would leave that as the last question, but but you've prompted me on this real estate topic because so many restaurants are trending towards smaller footprints uh, and trying to think through how, how do they get out of space. Uh, and you've been able to make a gigantic footprint, not only work uh, in aggregate, but on a per square foot basis, your revenue numbers are phenomenal. And, and so you're going the other way. Uh, and it sounds like you think there's a lot more opportunity to bring communities and experiences together and and the real estate could actually become more advantageous for you uh, as some of these other large large footprint traditional concepts struggle uh, without the with, without the experience. Yeah, you think about what um, some of these restaurants are are allowing themselves to become right with delivery uh, continuing to expand. You know, they're allowing themselves to become ghost kitchens in a way. So they're trying to shrink their dining rooms. And, um, you know, because we issue delivery and we say, please, please come to our address to have the experience. Um, you know, we take we, we take full advantage of the large footprint. Um, I, I don't know how it, it is. a It is a wonderful academic question. Try to figure out what's going to happen to casual dining with the ongoing onslaught of, of demand for delivery and then the, and the, and the delivery vehicles that are, that are responding to that. Um, but I know that, you know, the solution is not going to be um, that, that casual dining um, is going to just continue to shrink their footprint so that they can serve more to go food at, you know, 20 to 35% delivery premiums, right. Cutting into their margin. That's, you know, that that's not what's going to happen. I'm not smart enough to know what is going to happen other than to say it's not that. <laughs> well, that's a great place to, to put a put a period on it, because I, I agree. I think that we have much to shake out still. And the off premise uh, landscape is certainly evolving, namely uh, whether people are making any money on off premise. But one thing's for sure. Deliver great food, unique beverages, and lots of awesome experiences. And quite clearly, there is demand for that, and Punchable Social is proving it. So thanks for joining us, uh, Robert. Really appreciated the conversation. Cool. Thank you. You've been listening to Food Fighters with me, Zach Goldstein. To subscribe to the podcast or to learn more about our featured guest, visit thanks.com slash foodfighters. That's thanks, spelled T-H-A-N-X dot com slash food fighters. This podcast is a production of Thanks, the leading CRM and digital engagement solution for restaurants. Until next time, keep fighting food fighters.